Welcome to another episode of our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Visit our website for complete collections of your favorite old-time radio series. Remember to follow us so you won't miss new releases from SolvedMystery.com. Whitehall 1212. Pretty, please. This is Scotland Yard. For the first time, Scotland Yard opens its secret files to bring you the authentic, true stories of some of its most baffling cases. These accurate records are drawn from the actual files of Scotland Yard. They're true in every respect, except for the names of the participants, which for obvious reasons have been changed. Research on this exclusive series has been done by Percy Hoskins, chief crime reporter of the London Daily Express. The stories for radio are written and directed by Willis Cooper. Some of the participants... Donald Rhodes, Chief Security Officer of Heathrow Airport and a former Scotland Yard man. It was a considerable responsibility. Detective Sergeant Vivian Morris of Scotland Yard. I am a suburban housewife. Chief Inspector Robert Sheehan of Scotland Yard's Flying Squad. Step into the Black Museum here with me. I should like to show you something. John? Is that you, Sheehan? Yes, I brought some friends to see you. I'll be with you at once. Good afternoon. This is Chief Superintendent John Davidson, curator of Scotland Yard's Black Museum. Oh, how do you do? Well, I expect you've come about the relics of the Heathrow affair. Right. Oh, on the table there behind you. All we have. Oh, good. Yes, this one I recognize. Iron bar used by criminals in Heathrow affair. <laughs> some of my hair still sticking to it. Yes, yeah, some of your blood too, Bob. Makes my head ache yet. Uh, this is a uh, briefcase carried by the GOC. And here, <clears throat> alterable license plate used by the GOC gang. You see, it reads GMU 436. Press the lever, please, John. And hey, presto. It reads CGC 829. Very neat, isn't it? You, of course, don't have the most important souvenir at all here, John. What's that? The half-million-pound sterling. I think that I should tell you a little about our flying squad. It consists of a large number of motor cars, all wireless equipped, all very fast, and all kept constantly in superb condition. The flying squad is on duty 24 hours a day, a highly mobile force, available on extremely short notice at any point in the entire London area. The members of the flying squad are hand-picked, and they're very unusual men. These three are typical. This is Detective Sergeant Nobby Clark of the flying squad. Yes, sir. I was one of Lord Lewis' commandos. I was at Narvik. Oh, yes, and at Dieppe. Former leading petty officer Dusty Miller of HMS Phoebe. I am 29 years old. I am six foot two and I weigh 14 stone eight. I was welterweight champion of my ship, the light cruiser Phoebe. Detective Sergeant Ray Lawton, the Canadian. I, I'm about the, uh, the only policeman you ever heard of who was once a lion tamer. In a circus. Like all policemen in Britain, we seldom carry arms. Although I assure you we're quite able to use them effectively should the occasion demand them. British policemen rely on the weapons provided by nature, augmented occasionally, of course, by the issue of stout truncheons or rubber coshes. 
which I understand the Americans call black jacks, and which are wondrously effective. Our job, you see, is not to shoot criminals, but to bring them to justice, or, if possible, to prevent their depredations. We find our methods rather effective. Well, in June 1948, the great new London airport, London had long since outgrown the famous old Croydon airdrome, was operating at capacity, although it was still far from completion. My old friend Donald Rhodes, a veteran Scotland Yard man who was chief security officer at Heathrow, came to call on me at the yard. Can't stay away from the old home place, can you, Donald, I asked. I always know where to come for help, Bob. What's the matter? You know the GOC? General officer commanding what? Ancient and honorable brigade of robbers. Oh, Moriarty? Moriarty, Townsend, Inge, Hughes, West, Simmons. Brown, Bennett, dozens of names. Yes, I know him. Or know of him, I should say. Big operator. Biggest. Well, his recce people have been looking us over. What's he after? A nice new airplane for himself? Gold. At Heathrow? We transship thousands of pounds in gold, you know. International affairs. Planes fly in dripping with the stuff. Leave it overnight with us and... Uh, Leave it lying about? We keep it as short a time as possible in our bonded warehouse under guard. Strongest safes in the country. Guarded, of course. <laughs> Try and get past them. Much gold? Plane load at a time. How's he going to do it? Tanks or something at dawn? Oh, he'll be much more clever than that. He always has been. That's why he isn't sewing mailbags at Dartmoor today. How'd you get on to all this? I brought the chap along, one of my mechanics. Like to talk to him? Naturally. Come in, will you, Curran? Yes, sir. This is former Lieutenant John Curran of the Royal Tank Regiment, Bob. Good afternoon, sir. Sit down, Mr. Curran. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, tell Chief Inspector Sheehan about it, will you please, Curran? Well, sir, I've been with Mr. Rhodes for quite some time. The day before yesterday, I received a telephone call from an acquaintance of mine named Edward Mybridge. Where did you know this Mybridge before? We were in prison together, sir. Prison? Well, Mr. Hitler's off flag, 18, in the war. Oh, German prison camp. Yes, sir. I hadn't seen him since we were demobbed and we had a drink together. Oh, let's not waste any time, please, Curran. Oh, no, sir. Well, he telephoned me again yesterday, sir, and... and... You had another drink? Right, sir. He asked me how I'd like to make a lot of money and the whiskey, and I said, fine. I asked how... He said, passing on some information about Heathrow, how it was run, and the guards, and all that. What sort of looking chap was he? Red hair, squint eye, limps on right leg. Sound familiar to you, Bob? Not as what you call him, Colonel. Edward Mybridge, sir? His name's Ginger Johnson in our books. Unmistakable. He's not a nice fellow at all, Colonel. I found that out, sir. Oh? He warned me to say nothing to anyone about our conversation, or he'd have to take steps. I remembered what he did to a German prison guard the day we were released, sir. What? Cut his head off with a mess knife. A very hard character indeed, this Edward Mybridge, alias Ginger Johnson. An old Borstal boy. He had served honorably in the army, but had returned to his old ways immediately upon demobilization. He was well known to us as one of the GOC's most useful lieutenants. This G.O.C., a man of great mental attainments, we knew for the leader of one of the most desperate gangs of lawbreakers in all our experience. A genuine storybook mastermind. He had for many years operated like a real general officer commanding, maintaining a small staff of rough-and-ready assistants like Mybridge, and recruiting his actual operators, his army, for specific jobs as he needed them. 
Scotland Yard had never been able to lay a finger on him, although he was quite well known to us under a variety of names and ostensible professions. It was obvious that this was to be no small undertaking. He needed to be watched, and thoroughly, and beginning at once. I telegraphed a chief inspector I remembered in a Scottish town not far from Perth, and he reported to me at Scotland Yard the next day. I finished my briefing on what he had to do for us. Oh, I'll recognize him all right, sir. You have a lot of pictures of him. I wish we had him. I'm not to arrest him, sir. You'll not have a chance. He's a most law-abiding man. Now, he's never seen you in his life. And you understand, I don't want him to see you. Okay, sir. I'll want to know everywhere he goes, everyone he talks to. Aye, sir. Don't telephone in. Stay with him till you see him home in the evening. Then come in and report. Okay, sir. And good luck. You'll need it. I'm a very ordinary-looking man, sir. He'll never see me. Chief Inspector Ross was back in my office in two hours. Uh, Well? He, uh... I was standing on the corner, sir, waiting for the bus with him. And just as it stopped, he turned to me and said, It's all right, Chief Inspector Andrew Ross. You can go back to Perthshire. I'm just going to my bank this time. A detective constable we imported from Leeds who looked like a clergyman was addressed pittingly by name by the GOC who trod on our man's toes. The language he employed was quite unclerical. The law, of course, does not permit tapping a suspected man's telephone, so we were forced to continue to try to trail him to find out precisely what he was doing. But infallibly, he recognized our people. Rhodes kept hounding us. He couldn't organize his plan to defend the airport until he knew more of the GOC's probable intentions. And the man outwitted us at every turn. There came a morning ten days or so later when I saw Vivian Morris... One of our women detective sergeants passed my open door. Oh, uh, Sergeant, I call. Good morning, sir. Come in here a moment, will you? Uh, yes, sir. Vivian. Yes, sir. You're a very pretty girl. Why, thank you, sir. Have you ever followed a man? Report of Detective Sergeant Vivian C. Morris to Chief Inspector Sheehan at Scotland Yard. I don't think he recognized me, sir. You look like a young suburban mother, Vivian. I am. I've got two girls. I shall send them each a hair ribbon. What happened? I got on his bus one street after him. There was no seat, but I spotted him at once. He was staring about the bus, looking for one of us. And we were not there. All at once, he leaped to his feet and offered me his seat. The very mirror of politeness. Yes. Then he rushed to the door, leered at a perfectly innocent man in a Homburg hat, and leapt off the bus almost before it had stopped. I couldn't follow, of course. Naturally. But tomorrow is another day. Report of Detective Sergeant Morris the second day. Yes, sir. He stayed on the bus this time. I had my netting with me. I'm doing a pair of tartan stockings for Sheila for her birthday. He didn't pay the slightest attention to me. He got off at Waterloo Station with most of the others on the bus, including myself. He went into a small tobacconist shop. Here's the address, sir. Thank you. He was wearing a dark blue coat and a bowler hat and carried a small briefcase. I went into a Lyons Corner house. You know the one, sir where I could watch the door of the tobacconist. I had three buns and three cups of coffee before he came out again, this time wearing a brown tweed suit and hat and without the briefcase. He looked about him sharply and hailed a taxi cab and they drove off. The number of the taxi cab was EBC 414. Thank you, Sergeant. Most well done. Would you just shove me the telephone, please? Thank you. 
There's an urgent telephone call waiting for you, sir. Who is it? Inspector Green of traffic, sir. What does he want? He said it's quite important, sir. All right, put him on. Yes, Green? Uh, Green, yes, Shane. See, I hear you're interested in Ginger Johnson. What about him? He's dead. I refuse to burst into tears. He was apparently struck by a motor car. Where? On the Great West Road near the New Heathrow Airport. Oh, was he killed instantly? Well, he lived only a few minutes after we picked him up. Well, he's out of our hair. Oh, uh, did he say anything? Uh, uh, just a sec. What must he say? He's a devil. Uh, say, perhaps you'd know what he was talking about. What did he say? He said, tell Karen not to drink the tea. It's poisoned. <laughs> Sounds quite Max Romerish, doesn't it? <laughs> You're sure he said, tell Karen? Did he say Karen? Yes, yeah, that's right, Karen. See, I don't know any Karen. Quite all right, old boy. I do. Oh, uh... Thank you very much. I hung up on him. Is there anything I can do to help, sir? Yes, go out and get someone started on tracing that taxi cab at once, please. Here, take the paper with a number on it. Right, sir. Will you put me to Heathrow Airport at once, Chief Security Officer? Oh, good, you're here, Bob. Oh, Donald, I was just telephoning you. Never mind, officer, he's just come in. Look, Don, what about Colonel the T? Eh? Ginger Johnson just got killed. His dying words were to tell your man, Kern, not to drink the tea because it's poisoned. Tea? What's it mean? I think he was off his rocker. Thought he was still in the German prison camp. Could be. What I came over for, I have a signal from the foreign office. The Americans are sending us some money soon. Much? Mere 388,000 pounds in gold. When? Ten days from today. Wonder if that's what the GRC is getting his sights on. A great many people knew that we were expecting a large amount of gold from America. He has a long nose. That long, do you suppose? You had a great deal of experience with him while you were here at the yard. I wonder. Oh, excuse me, sir. Uh, Come in, Vivian. You know Sergeant Morris, don't you, Donald? Indeed, I do. How are the girls, Vivian? They're fine, sir. Excuse me, sir. Uh, They're checking the taxi driver, sir. They'll telephone you. Good. You can go home now, if you like. You want to try again tomorrow? Of course, sir. Good girl. Good night. Good night, sir. Good night, Mr. Rogue. Good night. What's... what's she doing? She's caught up with the GOC. Find out anything good? Shortly. Look, we'll have to get going on this thing at once. If it is the ship, the new shipment he's after. I know it. There's not much we can do until we have an idea how he intends to try. Pity Ginger Johnson died. He might have told us instead of babbling about poison tea in German prison. Sheehan here. Shattinger here, sir. In the 999 room. Yes, Shattinger. And all the good luck on tracing that taxi cab, sir. Found the driver had just come into the company garage. Had his trip book with him. Good. The uh, trip at 10.23 this morning was from Waterloo Station to a shop in Sowell. A chemist shop, sir. A chemist shop? Yes, sir. The taxi driver said he saw his fare enter the shop. George Schill, chemist, he said it. George Schill, I know that name. What George, about George Schill, Schill has been involved in a number of narcotics cases. Yes, I know. Thank you very much. What about George Schill? That's who the GOC was visiting this morning. Is he in the narcotics thing, too? We shall find out, old boy. I wonder where he went from there. Probably to bump off Ginger Johnson. Bump him off? Now tell me why he should do that. Well, good old Ginger might have been looking on the wine when it was red. Bible, old chap. Or the whiskey when it is amber. And blabbered about his talk with your man, Kern. The GOC wouldn't like that, would he? 
He wouldn't know whether Kern had talked to you, and he might have decided to prevent any more talk by Ginger to the wrong bloke. Ah, oh, a little fantastic. But plausible. Where'd they find Ginger? Uncomfortably close to your precious airport on the Great West Road. Ah. Yes. Put me through to Superintendent Trevelyan. Is that you, Trevelyan? She in here. Look, sir, I'd like to have a detail of men at once on an investigating job. Yes, sir, most important. I'd like to have a check made at once of all houses along Great West Road near the new Heath Airport. I'll direct them if you like. Eh? Oh, thanks, Donald. Mr. Rhodes, the chief security officer at the airport, will help them out. I'm looking for a house that has a, a recent lodger. Check the houses that overlook the airports first. Please, for a lodger that did not return this evening. Here's the description. Tall, red-haired, has a squint eye and a gimpy right leg. Got it, sir? Thank you. Yes, sir, I'll get a search warrant and come at once when they find him. Thank you very much. They can telephone me at home if they find the place out of hours. Right. A few minutes after midnight, I was awakened by a telephone call from one of the men of Superintendent Trevelyan's squad. After some difficulty in obtaining a search warrant at that time of night, I proceeded to the house in which he had telephoned. The house was almost directly across the road from the main gate of the airport. Donald Rhodes, who was awaiting my arrival, accompanied me upstairs to the former lodger's room, which provided an excellent view of the airport from its single window. The householder turned on the lights and left us. The room was quite neat. There's, uh, there's a chair by the window. Yes. Turned towards the window. Cushions rumpled quite a bit. Somebody's been sitting on it a lot. Here's an officer's musette bag in the closet. Have a look. That's his, all right. See? E. Mybridge, Lieutenant, King's Royal Rifle Corps. Good regiment. He was a good soldier, I expect. Here's a drawer on the table. Ah. What? E. Lights, Wetzler. Good pair of glasses, these German officers. 10x30. He was spying. That's this. What's this? Royal Corps Signals Field Message Pad. Boys reports to the GOC, eh? Quite regimental. Been using it, too. Good. What? Writing on the sheet he just tore out left an impression on the second sheet. Let's see. Hold up the lamp there, Donald. Mm -hmm. No, hold it so the light comes across the page from the edge so it casts a shadow on the ridges of the writing here. Hmm? Read it. Hold the lamp still. See to guards at... at what's this word? Looks, looks like midnight. What guards will he see to midnight? Makes no sense. Let me look again. No, that isn't C. Here. No. Looks like... I know what it is. What? T. T? T to guards at midnight. I don't... What was it Ginger said to tell Curran? Don't drink the tea. It's poisoned. It was the custom at that time for a local tea shop to send a man with a tricycle around the airport every night with a huge container of hot tea. It was a familiar sight to everyone on the field, and the sound of his funny little French taxi horn was the signal for everyone to have his tuppence ready for his tin cup of the stuff. The GOC's plan was obvious. 
If that tea were poisoned, then if they all drank it, and if half a million pounds in gold lay unguarded with a dead man at the gates, a, a most diabolical scheme. Nevertheless, a feasible one, by the GOC's reckoning. But he had overlooked some factors in his reckoning. One factor he'd overlooked was a rough, tough man's aversion to poisoning a wartime friend. The other was the flying squad. I sent men the following morning to all parts of London on a search for certain men whom we knew to have worked for the GOC before. A number of them were in prison. But we discovered that 11 of them had been mysteriously disappeared. They, we reasoned, had been mobilized by the GOC for final briefing and held in readiness for the attack. The GOC himself had left for parts unknown. He reappeared only once, and Vivian Morris reported that he had made a most curious purchase. Six pairs of nylon stockings, the largest sizes available. We knew something of the GOC's plans. This was our final briefing in the flying squad's garage. Repeat your instructions, Nobby Clark. I'm to drive the seal lorry that picks up all the guards and takes them to the shelter. I drop off a flying squad man for everyone I pick up. The flying squad men are to be dressed in BOAC uniforms like those the guards wear. Each will be armed with a truncheon or a rubber cough. At the shelter, I'm to tell the guards I pick up what is going on. Right. Detective Sergeant Norton, what do you do, lion tamer? I'm in charge of the flying squad men that will be planted in the bonded warehouse where the money is. And you, Dusty Miller? I'd like to be with lion tamer. What's your job? Oh, I'm in general charge of the cars. Sir, I was welterweight champion. We'll save one of them for you, Dusty. Say to it, Martin. All right, Dusty. Now remember, not a man must touch the tea. Oh, no, no, no. Not that poison it hurts any of you, but <laughs> I, I shall need it for evidence. Well, couldn't we offer them a drink, sir? Donald? Look, it's my airport and it's my responsibility. What do you do? I just sit in that bloody little shelter by the telephone, and when they're all inside, I'm to lift the receiver. Good. And the sergeant from the 999 room? Constable Lloyd, sir. I'm to watch the special switchboard for it to light up when Mr. Rhodes lifts the receiver. And then? Then at once I'm to shout into my wireless microphone one word. Well? Go. Where's Dusty Miller? Oh. Then I bellow yoikes and the cars with the rest of us converge on every entrance to the airport. Render such assistance as might be necessary. None will be necessary, Dusty. And Lawton, when do you start operations? Not till they start to open the safe, sir. Then what? Then we smite them hip and thigh, sir. Carry them all off to the pokey. To the what? Oh, sorry, sir, that's Canadian. Uh, to the bowels of the vast time. And when you're done, boys, Heathrow will supply beer for all. A bottle of pigs! <laughs> beer and bandages, boys. The day came. The airplane from America arrived with the gold. It was transferred under heavy guard to the bonded warehouse. Donald Rhodes supervised that himself. I joined the guard at the gatehouse of the airport about 11 that evening. It was very quiet. That'll be Clark taking our men around and picking up the regular guards. Very lonely and very quiet. Maybe they're not come, I thought. I borrowed a cigarette from the gate guard, but I crushed it out. They mustn't know there's anybody here besides you, I told him. That's right, sir. Squidge down on the floor. I waited. That was Nobby, taking the regular guards to the shed. I... Who's that? I'd get it, sir. 
Yes? Clark here. Tell Mr. Sheehan I've picked up all the guards and our people are waiting. Yes, it was. I heard him. Just in time, sir. Here comes the tea. The man with the tricycle came up and stopped. Hello, Herbert. Hello, James. I thought I was going to be late. Have come. Hey, got your tin cup? Here. Some guard or somebody stopped me down the road a bit and demanded what I was doing. Made me open up the tea and let him look at it. Got all cold, I'm afraid, him staring at it. All right, Tuppence, please. Right. Go on, in. The guard brought in the tea, which we sat on the floor to keep as evidence. The driver came back with the empty container and went on about his business. The guard and I crouched on the floor of the little hut, waiting. Only the sound of a belated airplane or two broke the silence. It was half an hour later when we heard the sound of a lorry. I crawled under the table. The guard lay back in his chair, motionless. The lorry stopped at the gate and a man got out. He looked in our window. Here's one of them now. I stood up cautiously. The lorry moved straight to the bonded warehouse and stopped. We heard them at the door. We kept quiet in the dim light. The door opened. I watched through a crack in the sheltered door. My hand on the telephone to the 999 room. We sat in our covers, motors running, hidden at the road junctions all around the airport. My eyes began to hurt watching that switchboard. I said to the guards in the shed, now mind you, not a sound. I could see the shadowy figures clustering about the door to the bonded warehouse. A man whispered in my ear. What have they got on their heads? They look like ratty elephants. They had women's stockings on for masks. It sure looked weird with their legs hanging down over their faces. I hope the GOC is with them, I thought. The last one entered. I picked up the receiver. There it is. Go, you sods, go. Come on, the flying squad. They're at the safe. I saw a man running towards me. He tore the stocking from his head and I leaped out the door at him. Stop! Stop, I yell, stop! I'm an inspector here! When I came to an hour later, I discovered the grandfather of all bumps on my head from the loaded cosh the man had caressed me with. My men of the flying squad stood about, many of them bandaged to the eyes, but all happily quaffing beer. We totted up the score. Eleven prisoners, including the one who had struck me and whom the gate guard had taken care of. Two broken arms, one smashed nose, and a turned ankle. A pile of heavy coshes and short iron bars the robbers had carried. And the 388,000 pounds still untouched. The prisoners bore a large variety of contusions, black eyes and broken heads. I, uh, I had a headache for a week. We never did catch the GOC, but we sent 11 of his men to prison, having caught them red-handed. And to this day, no one has ever dreamed of robbing Heathrow again. If they do, sir, may I have a chance at them, too?
have heard another true story from the files of Scotland Yard. Only the names were, for obvious reasons, changed. Research for Whitehall 1212 is done by Percy Hoskins of the London Daily Express. The stories for radio are written and directed by Willis Cooper. Listen again for Whitehall 1212 two weeks from today and weekly thereafter. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Thank you for joining us and enjoying our digitally remastered old-time radio shows from SolvedMystery.com. Please remember to leave us a review and to follow us for frequent releases.